spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys yes and the end spoken label not shouting today because we're in manchester central library so we have to keep this very quiet once got a wonderful lady with me today now if you've noticed in spoken label feed She's just done a quick PS episode a couple of weeks ago. Wonderful Liz Gibson. Now, we're here today to talk Liz about her creativity because I know she's a lady that's done a lot of projects. So I want to talk to you generally about this today, Liz. But obviously, for people who don't know you first of all, tell us a bit about yourself and where all this came from originally. Hi, I'm Liz. I write poetry. I do a lot of stuff for the theatre these days. And... I'm hoping to write a young adult novel. It's something that's been in progress for a while. I think I've always been creative and I think a big influence for me was music. Um, from uh, As long as I can remember, my parents would always listen to folk music. And, and was there any favourites for you, was there? Uh, well, Nancy Griffiths was definitely... I adore Nancy Griffiths. I, I was crushed when she died last year. Oh, seriously upset over that. <laughs> That, that, it was kind of sudden too. Um, yeah, Nancy. Well, have you got a favourite album than Nancy Griffiths in particular? Um, well, she's got a, a live album called A Fair Summer's Evening that I really like. Yeah, 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 uh, I like Flyer as well. Yeah, great choices both of them. So, obviously, like, obviously, then you love her music, then transcribed into your writing, didn't it? So, you got all that. Yeah, so I. I think I just wanted to tell stories and my brother and I would do a lot of kind of just playing around like we did like puppet shows, we'd write these little stories together. It's just something that I always did. Uh, then when I was about 10 I entered a poetry competition and I was one of the winners and I got to meet Ian McMillan which was really cool. Brilliant. What was it like? <laughs> just really funny. Yeah, it was, that was a really good day. I do, I do listen to the verb a lot on Apple for doing he's, he's so funny and he's charming so now, obviously I know in yourself and there's a lot of ground we could cover here really because I I don't I could probably be here about two hours <laughs> going through bits and pieces with you. But I know generally obviously you did your degree over at Manchester University didn't you? And you surprised me you told me you did it in languages didn't you so 
Yes, so I did an integrated professional master's in languages, which is a really complicated degree that kind of combines languages with kind of professional development. So I did a module in leadership, which was really interesting, so I did lots of volunteering, including at a book cycle, which is like a free library. So that also definitely helped me just be in a creative space. Um, and I did two years abroad in France and Spain, which again was really good because I felt like it gave me the space to just really focus on writing um, and I guess escape my, my life a little bit and just be in a completely new place. Yeah, I think sometimes as people we need that sometimes where I don't you really like it's to help you develop in the direction where you go, particularly if you're creative, you have to go elsewhere. Mm. I've done lots of travelling myself in my twenties and there's places I've come all over Europe <laughs> and England as well. But yeah, I think you've made a good move there, definitely with that. But obviously you told me before when you came back to England, it kind of made natural for you to move to Manchester then, didn't it really from there? So So I I originally had a job in central Manchester, um and that's why I ended up living there. Then at the moment I'm self-employed, but I'm just kind of staying put because it's, it's easiest and I do really love Manchester. And I've, I'm reaching a point here, because I've kind of lived here about 10 years on and off, including my time at uni. So I feel like I'm at a point where I feel really comfortable. Um, I think as a creative person, you've got to have some kind of levels of comfortable, it's been comfortable, you end up going paranoid and it's not good for you. Now, I want to talk to you today really because of creativity, because we met, we met originally, didn't we, when you came to Speakeasy, the night our cold run, when it was in Stratford. I'm sure you, were you living at Central Manchester at that point where you I've got a home for you living in Presswich or something. No, I think I was, yeah, I was living in central Manchester, that was when I was working because yeah. I, I walked from my office in the centre to um, Stretford. That's what did it. I know. I, t- I remember turning around telling Amanda afterwards, or my wife, yeah. and I said to her, we should, we should get the girls on purple, but if she can't afford it, I felt really guilty afterwards, ages and that. But yeah, um, in relation to yourself and your work, like I said, people research, they would know, like you don't just do, you write all kinds of genres, don't you? You've already said about you doing a novel on the go. I know you for your poetry and researching, you've done quite a few plays and monologues, haven't you? So, so, what, what made you want to be so varied in your work? Or oh, that does come natural progression for you, really? I think it's just about wanting to communicate things and what medium is, is best for that. Um, sometimes I want to write a poem. Often I, if I want to write about experiences that have happened to me, but I want to make them a bit more kind of less obvious that it's about me then I'll do a story because then I can create a character. I think often people read poems in the first person and assume you're talking about yourself even if you might not be. So sometimes there's something, if I have something I want to say but I don't want to put it in a poem and be like this is my story I'll put it in a story and like make a character. And with plays it's kind of that those are the opportunities that I've had in the last couple of years and I've just been really lucky that I've been able to get quite a few different opportunities in like the Manchester and Greater Manchester Theatre scene. Uh, I've done work with Oldham Coliseum, um, with Dibby Theatre, um, with Superbia at Manchester Pride and Ergon Theatre. So I just I kind of discovered this world that I hadn't really 
had access to until a couple of years ago and now it feels like everything's incredibly open and it's really exciting. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It's certainly in the punk lockdown world, there's so much opportunities coming out there in a minute. You say, I think I find getting time to approach everything is a problem, isn't it? And you must be in that situation yourself sometimes when there's so much going on, isn't there? You're trying to keep up with it sometimes. Yeah, there's just... I spend a lot of time applying for things and it's often really hard to know when to stop because I kind of think, I have to apply for this because if I got this it would be really good but then I kind of have to... There's a point where you kind of have to draw the line and focus on what you're already doing and it can be tricky. No, I completely agree with you on that. Now, obviously, with your work itself, and obviously, I can't ask you about the novel, obviously, because the novel's obviously is in flux still, and it where we look at it. But do you find it's um when you're doing your plays and stuff? Because there's loads of these that we could talk about, but I think my best case to take it as a general overview for you. But like, for example, I I, I was interested in the one that you did. Notice that you did the one for Dibby Theatre, didn't you? For the competitive first dibs program, for example. Like when you, when you were writing that. Is it a very different process for you writing your poetry like that? You did, it's like, I believe you can train your brain to write one thing, but it's easier to do a second and third medium, isn't it? So. Yes, I think for me, writing plays and writing monologues gives me a lot more freedom. So I, I don't have to worry about kind of line length and other things that I do in a poem. With poems, I'm, I'm very conscious of making it as perfect as I can because it's this small small thing that I want to be perfectly formed and whereas with a monologue say I can just go in all kinds of directions, I can go on tangents and really explore and that's something I've discovered more recently and I'm really happy to have done that. Um, with my my play for Dibby Theatre is a one person show so it's kind of just me talking for an hour um, there are some characters that are animals that I play, but they also just represent different parts of me. Like there's a, a really flamboyant cat who represents the more kind of confident part of me that I don't get to show often. And there's a goose who's really kind of grumpy. Um, so. Oh, great. Now, I know actually as well you got awarded, didn't you? I don't get, this is my dyslexia is going to kick in now, so I'll be kind of say it slowly. A DYCP grant for the Arts Council in Manchester by the spring last year. Tell us a bit about that next time. What was the process for that then? So that that was an incredible thing to have happened because I just I was just moving towards being self-employed and it was just mm. really really good timing that I got that. Um, so that was to it, it's a developing your creative practice grant and I specifically applied to work on poetry and performance and particularly queer poetry and kind of exploring different ways of communicating queerness in poetry and I've been mentored by Caroline Bird mm. and Romy Smith and they've yeah, both been both, both amazing. Oh fantastic. Did, how, how was that then for you? That would have been clearly a fantastic experience because I've, I've been in the lecture that Caroline Bird's done and I've met Robbie Smith as well mm. so brilliant. Was that a fantastic experience for you then, was it? Yeah, it was, it was brilliant, because they're both people who were my heroes, and to get to work with them one-to-one -one was really incredible, and I feel so much more confident since Great. Oh, yeah. Then. I think something like that is always a boost of your confidence as a writer and a person like it. 
you do that like it's but it well done for that definitely so now I'll, there's a lot more ground we can cover like i said but i want to i know you've had people wondering about the research you've been publishing quite a lot around journals and you bought a few with you today we're going to do in the second part of this in a few minutes and i know you've been in a lot of anthologies as well people can easily find if they're researching that straight away but what i want to touch about is obviously i know you didn't. You, you've got your own magazine going, haven't you? For you're involved in what's Foxglove Journal. Tell uh, us about that next time. Yes. So Foxglove is an online journal that I've been running since late 2016. Um, I was living in France when I started it, and it's kind of a way of hopefully bridging borders and and connecting with different people. We have submissions from all over the world and I'm, I'm very open in what I accept. Um, I think there's a lot of unspoken rules in the poetry community, at least in the UK. And I try to just be, have a really kind of broad mind and accept people's own voices and, and even things that are seen as a bit unconventional. And I also really enjoy photography and I match one of my photos to each piece of writing that someone sends in. So we get kind of a combination of art and writing that hopefully is kind of more than some of its parts that the two like work together in a certain way. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a tricky thing to do that sometimes because I've done one of my books is like that where, um, in fact two of them were, well the second one. I was using other people's art photography and also I've got a friend that's a really good photographer and I wrote about six poems directly based on his photographs and then my members this might be smart work I told them I was going to use these and they said to me oh do you want a few more <laughs> so it's like way it goes isn't it that definitely now a couple of things I want to touch on to start before we wrap up this part for you today obviously I know you've been obviously I'm trying to read my handwriting here I know you were selected by the cornerhouse home weren't you for the Creative Stars, Young Creators and Digital Reporters projects between 2011-2019 and then obviously like through these projects you were on the curation team weren't you for a film festival and two couple of art exhibitions as well. Tell us about that then. So I've, I've had a really good relationship with Corner House which then became home mm. um, starting all those years ago when I did the Creative Stars programme which was a team of young people, I think there were 19 of us, um, who applied and we all had some kind of creative passion. So we worked together and we put on art exhibitions at a film festival. And yeah, and I've stayed involved in, in home. And the most recent thing I did with them was called Digital Reporters in 2019, where I was part of a team that would like review stuff and photograph their events and that it was really good, it was a good way of networking and getting to see exhibitions and stuff, so that oh, was good. Oh brilliant, brilliant, so it's always a good way to do that sort of thing, keep your fingers in there, not you in there, the pies basically, good luck. Now, start wrapping up this part anyway for you, I always like asking people, and you also a bit more trickier one really because I always like to ask people what they've got coming up next creative-wise. But obviously at your case is going to be a monologue you do visit to Mill, which you've already touched on. But do you have anything planned for the autumn after that? Anything else coming up? Well, the main things that I'll be doing are just working on my own poetry now because I've been 
giving a lot of time to this commission for the past few months. So now that I've finished that, I'm just intending to polish my poems. Um, I've got a lot that are on the theme of kind of urban nature and my walks around the city and some of the kind of post-industrial places that I really love, like the canals, quarries, kind of abandoned spaces which have got really overgrown. Brilliant. Well, good luck, definitely so. Keep the phone there you go with that, sure, certainly. Now, if people want to find out more about you, where do you recommend they go? So, I'm on social media as Grison, which is a bit of a weird name, but it, it kind of comes from the world of the chalet school books. That used oh, to be a chalet school books here. Yeah. Oh, my sister's favourite series, that. She's got some of his first editions of them, it's crazy. <laughs> Do you, did you get into them when you were a kid then, did you, basically, the books? I, I was actually probably a teenager. I, I was recommended them by a teacher at school, and, yeah, I got really into them. I found out that one of my neighbours, like, when I lived back in Wigan, was a fan and had, like, a big collection of them, so... Yeah, that, it's really cool, because you discover things about people you've always known that you didn't know them, but yeah. you've got these connections. Definitely, there was a, there was a fair back in that circus as well. There wasn't, was it about? Am I right in thinking there were sixty to seventy books in total? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember growing up, my sister reading them. God. Anyway, I'm feeling old now. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we'll conclude this part here anyway with this. So I know you're going to do a few pieces from the yeah. indie third part of this today. So no pleasure today. See you on it. Spoken mate. Okay, guys. Yes, part three now with the wonderful Liz Gibson. Liz is going to read out two pieces for us. Over to you, Liz. So, I was really, really happy recently to have a poem published in Magma, which was an absolute dream journal for me to be a part of. And I've been trying for like 10 years, so it was an incredible moment. It's in the, the most recent issue, which is 83, and the theme is Solitude and the poem is called The Attic Years. My pre-date routine back then was taking the pill, having rushed in from lectures to my attic room, drenching my underarms with organic argan oil and playing at tidying my hair, which was still long, like dark kelp when it was wet on my white vastness. I would try to believe I saw something worthwhile in my wardrobe mirror, that my wide denim blouse could belong to a hipster who loved the Indigo Girls and Joni Mitchell, who inked portraits of women, who could teach you every planet and constellation, who, until a few months ago, had been living high up a mountain in Spain with many crickets and frogs, and was familiar with bleeding and scans, a hospital in the hills with signs in Gallego, and then the pill. I thought it crucial to take at the same time every day, had picked mornings. After several snoozed alarms, I rearranged to five before dinner. Finally, argan oiled and medicated, I would traipse across the damp lawn to the old hall, perch alone at my long wooden table, and watch the queue wondering if she would come, and if she would spot me and settle, or keep moving. Now, slightly slighter, 
with short hair, men's shirts, boots, guitar. I'm still big and difficult. I might throw on a silver necklace, my starfish or hot air balloon, before going to meet someone, but I don't make much more effort than I would for my own quiet company. I have jumped through a few fires, time is precious, and hell, you can have me roar. And you can hear about the frogs outside my room in the hills of Galicia, how bloody loud they were at night, how I loved them, and the crickets, and life. Smell the argan oil on me. Tremendous. You really got a good grip to as a person there with that one, so. I don't like, I won't ask you a lot of questions about that because it's just such a, you can tell that you lived that piece. The only question I ask is, why did you call it the Attic Years as a title? I think I just, I was having trouble thinking of the title and ultimately I wanted something that suggests a certain period of time, like the years of whatever. And this was during a time when I was living in essentially a little attic room and I guess it also has this idea of being like tucked away maybe and feeling like an outsider if you're like in the attic and other people are in the main building. You know, I got that straight away, that tremendous stuff. Okay, you got, I know you've got one more piece for us, haven't you, for this part of the podcast? Um, so I have a poem in the latest magazine from Fly on the Wall. Oh, Isabel's gorgeous. I love Isabel. Have you actually met her? Yeah, she's lovely. Oh, she's yeah. a really nice girl, isn't she? Oh, brilliant. So their latest magazine is all about Under the Sea, and my poem in it is called The Otter World. In our world, which is a lot like yours, we can turn to otters. We ease ourselves into our fur, scuttle into frothy waves, raise babies on our adorned bellies, then become people again. This has been going on for centuries, you know, but recently, with the increase in what we humans carry, clothes, bags, shoes, keys, money, jewellery, boots and papers and more, The question rose, where does it go when we take otter form? Gradually, we realised it sits as extra weight beneath our fur. A bit cumbersome, but still ours. And in the winter months, it keeps us full and warm. Once we slide back to human, some of it stays settled beneath the skin, shaping and curving our silhouettes, offering a glimpse of days navigating the tides depths and shallows, storms, cubs and fights, long dark nights. When people observe your body, ask with their eyes, you say, hey, I know I'm a bit fatter, but you see, I was an otter. They never quite get it, so you are quiet, nor your secret. It doesn't matter who they knew or thought they knew then. You are carved from the ocean's child. Epic transient here. Whoa, that's deep, that's serious deep. No. Again, fantastic piece. You can tell that, oh, I love what you're working with. I know I've, what's great there, people wondering, I'm like looking over your shoulder, you're <laughs> reading from the magazine. Each piece, those two pieces, really well measured then. There wasn't a word out of place in that. So you tell like you put thought into it and your heart's going to be brilliant. Tremendous stuff. <laughs> I want to thank you for today, it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a pleasure, so. So, we're going to conclude this part now, and 
people wondering now, this is actually going to do a fourth part for me now. Should we be sick of sight of me every time we're done today? So, but seriously, it's been a pleasure. Good luck with the play, which obviously people are wondering that would happen by now, time this comes out. But good luck and all the best in the future. Oh, thank you. It's been really good. Okay, guys and girls. As Don Callis over at Impact Wrestling says, and I'll use my usual conclusion, stay safe, guys, and stay over, and we will see you all next time. Spoken, mate.